Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again we have, Lord, to come into your presence. And Lord, I know we're in your presence at all times. That opportunity is always available to us, no matter where we are or who we're with. But Father, this is the time when we can come corporately and we can fellowship not only with you, but with each other. There can be that, that, that vertical relationship and certainly that horizontal as well. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have, an opportunity that many in the world today, many Christians don't have. They can't gather together, at least openly. And so, Father, we thank you for this. May we never take this for granted. This morning, we get to hear from you. So, Lord, I would pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, for you are my rock and my redeemer. And we look forward to hearing from you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I know I speak for Jackie when I say it's great to be back with you. We were camping last week, and, uh, but I left the place in good hands. Char didn't Charlie do a great job if you were here? I got to tell you, what, what, the, the biggest takeaway I had was when his, his uh, bumper video volume was off, and he was up here narrating it. And I still can remember, there's the Apostle Paul marching, walking along. And, and, and here's the point. He said, and notice, he's not looking back. And that's what I've recalled. And, and it, that helps me in my spiritual walk to, to make sure, like the Apostle Paul says, to keep pressing on, to keep moving forward, not looking back, not letting the past continue to hold us back or impact us in negative ways. Well, this morning, we come back to the I would call it the regular style of preaching here at Crosswinds Church. If you have joined us through the holiday season, you have uh, kind of heard topical sermons, but our normal preaching here is what's known as expository preaching, where you take a book of the Bible and you go through it from the beginning to the end, passage by passage, verse by verse, occasionally even word by word, although I don't do a whole lot of that. I'm not John MacArthur after all. Anyway, <laughs> I, I can get through a book in less than 10 years. Years. And so, uh, but that's where we are today. And so we are back in uh, the book of Matthew this morning. And, and I begin this morning by sharing something that, uh, that marketers have known for years and years, that if you want to increase the sales of your particular product, what you do is you say that your product is new and improved, Right? I mean, we see that all the time. You can see some old thing that's been around for 100 years, but you slap new and improved on it, and suddenly it's like, ooh, I think I want to try that. That's, that's new and improved. The key, though, is that it actually has to be new and improved. Some of you will remember a few decades ago uh, the debacle known as New Coke. New Coke was new. Now, I happen to be one of those people that liked New Coke because I'm a Pepsi guy. And really, if, if, if you know anything about New Coke, New Coke tasted like Pepsi. And so I'm like, hey, I'm okay with this. But Coke drinkers did not like it at all. It was new, but it was not improved. And so if you're going to have it, you better make sure that it is both. It is new and it is improved. And that's what we're going to see in the teaching that Jesus has for us this morning. We're going to see that, that this new and improved uh, idea is something that can be applied to our lives, certainly to the lives of those who were listening to him at the time, but it can be applied to our lives as well. So listen up as we look at, the, at, the, at this idea and the powerful impact that it can have in our lives. 
Where we left off last time was at the end of chapter 9. So turn to Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles. We're going to pick up at verse 14. If you have your note sheets, make sure you get those out because we're going to give you things to, to uh, write down. Also, uh, if, uh, if you're joining us online, where there they are, <laughs> if you're joining us online, you can uh, get the material, the note sheets that I talked about uh, on our church app. So you want to make sure you, uh, uh, you download our church app. And by the way, welcome. Good to have you with us here this morning as well. And um, also, if you uh, didn't get one of those sheets, put your hand up. We'll make sure to get that to you. And as you heard, we start our life groups this week. And so on the back are the questions that will form somewhat of the basis of the life groups, although if it's like our life group, we go well beyond the questions. So let me give you, as we start off, let me give you a little bit of context. I like to call this sort of getting a running start to where we are. Let's just go back a little bit into chapter 9 so we can get a sense of where we are now in the narrative of, uh, of Matthew's gospel. At the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus healed a paralytic. We talked about that a couple of months ago before the holidays. Now, everything was okay. The healing was one thing, but Jesus in verse 2 made this statement, your sins are forgiven. And what resulted from that? Well, as we would say today, the Pharisees had a cow, okay? And that means when you have a cow, you have an intense emotional reaction. In other words, it's a, it's a cow-sized reaction, okay? And so later, we see how Matthew is, uh, is saved or how Matthew comes to become a follower of Jesus. And then Jesus gets invited or invites himself over to Matthew's house and in this house, as verse 10 tells us, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And guess what? Those same religious leaders had an even bigger cow over that. And so as we come to our passage today, we're starting up in verse 14, we see that it's not only the religious leaders that have questions and sometimes even problems with what Jesus is doing and what he is saying. Today, Jesus is approached in verse 14 by the disciples of uh, John the Baptist. Look at verse 14. It says, then the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Now we know that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they fasted. They fasted extensively and obviously. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. And apparently what we see here is that John the Baptist's disciples participated in fasts as well. So here they want to know why Jesus was partying, essentially, because they're asking him at, at Matthew's house, you know, not only are you partying, but you're not, you're not partaking in this, this, this ritual, this ceremony, but why, why is he partying? Par why are they partying? Why is Jesus partying when they are suffering for God? Realize this, guys. Fasting, and by the way, fasting is going without food, or you can fast from other things as well, but generally it's going without food. It is a wonderful discipline. 
Okay, it, it, it really focuses you. If you've ever done it, you know what I mean. And if you haven't, I would challenge you to, to give it a try. But it can really focus you spiritually. It actually does. There, there's actually physical reasons why it does that. I participate in fast weekly. I, I uh, happen to practice intermittent fasting. And so it's something that's even good for your health. Jesus himself fasted and prayed often in scripture. And by the way, those two do go together. When you're fasting, you are praying. In fact, the hunger pains can actually become a, a cue for you to pray at that moment. The trouble is, we see that the religious leaders were fasting for the wrong reasons. They were fasting to show how super spiritual they were. And the only, if you read through the Old Testament, the, the book, the instructions that they followed, you find that there was really only one fast that was required. Doesn't mean that's all you could do, but there was only one required fast, and that was the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they went well beyond that. They fasted two days a week. And quite often, not really for God's sake. They did it, as we're going to see in a minute, they did it for a show. They did it to show people just how spiritual they were, and they made sure to do it that way. So Jesus here is going to answer their question with a parable. In fact, this is so important today that he's not going to answer with just one parable, not two parables. He's going to answer with three short one-verse parables so that he can really drive the point home to his followers. My uh, initial uh, opportunities to speak, where I cut my teeth in preaching and speaking, was in the living room of, John, of Tom and Jackie Logan. And I got to speak in the, in the late 70s uh, at club. And I was the weekly speaker there. And so they got to endure me learning how to do this. I got to make all kinds of mistakes. But they were very forgiving. They're high school students. And I wanted to make sure in those days that I was going, that what I was saying was truly understood. And I was kind of unsure of myself. And so I asked my girlfriend, my now wife, Jackie, if she would help me in this. And she, of course, said, sure, what do you want me to do? And I said, when I'm speaking, if I say something or I do an illustration or give an example and you don't understand what it means or, or it's not really connecting, would you just cross your arms like this? And then I'll know that I need to to, to try again, to make sure that it's, it's uh, understandable. And she said, sure, I can do that. And so over the, the weeks that I would be speaking, there would be times when I would say something and I'd look over and I would see Jackie's arms like this. And I'd go, okay, and that, they did, apparently she didn't get that. So I would illustrate it again. And usually after that, she would go, yes, now I got it. Now I understand. So one particular night, might have been the last night we did this, one particular night, I'm speaking, and I don't remember what I was talking about, but I made a point about something. Uh, Coach Logan was really good at teaching us how to, how to compare the Christian life to chocolate chip cookies and watermelons and, and things like that. And so I made this point, and I look over, and there's Jackie sitting there with her arms crossed. And I thought, all right, well, it didn't seem that difficult, but if she's not getting it, so I came up with another way. I came at it from another direction, and I, and I shared the whole thing again. And I look over... And her arms are still crossed. I'm like, 
okay, this, this really must be tough. So I, I illustrated it again for her. By this time, I think most of the people in the crowd are thinking, why is he slamming on this point so many times? And by the, after the third time, I look over at Jackie, arms still crossed, and I looked at her like this. I went, <laughs> and she goes, oh, 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 <laughs> never mind. <laughs> now, Jesus is going to give three different uh, 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 parables here to illustrate this one point. But it's not for the reason that I did it. It's not to be understood. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to show us three different facets, kind of like the, the surface of a diamond, where you turn a diamond and you see different things. There are three different facets of this idea that he's going to illustrate for us. This idea that in Christ, we are all new and improved. The first one is this. He says, they, he got the question, verse 14, the disciples of John came to him and said, why do we say, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The first thing that Jesus answers to them essentially is this. We should celebrate as at a wedding. Look at verse 15. Here's Jesus' first answer, his first parable. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Now here, as in many other places in scripture, Jesus is comparing himself. He's using the image of him, he himself being the bridegroom and we, the church, are his bride. We are, oh, that's one of the, the uh, titles for the church, the bride of Christ. And at this point, Jesus is quite literally with them. He is there in the room. But of course, as he says in his parable, there will, be, there will come a time when he is taken away. For them, it's literally going to be in a couple of years when he is crucified and raises again. So he will be taken away. But for now, Jesus is saying that you guys are at the wedding. And at weddings, that's the imagery he's using, that at weddings, people don't fast. Quite the opposite. They feast, okay? They have a good time. They celebrate. Now, I got to tell you, because of my job, okay, I go to a lot of weddings. I, I participate in most of them. And without fail, they are pretty good experiences. I, I've had very few bad experiences in weddings. But let me tell you guys, from what I read, our weddings here in, 20, in the 21st century America, they cannot begin to compare with a Jewish wedding. I mean, think about it. The actual wedding ceremony happens after a year of betrothal, what we might consider to be engagement. We talked about that with Mary and Joseph a few weeks ago. And so here they were, as they were betrothed or engaged, they were planning and expecting and making preparations for this big day. And then for us, after the ceremony is over, that's it, right? The couple leaves, uh, we throw rice at them. Uh, these days we throw bird seed or blow bubbles at them, okay? And, and they head out into their car. But guys, for them, for a Jewish wedding, following the ceremony, there can be up to a full week of eating and dancing and singing and celebrating. I don't know about you, but when I got married, I don't know if I wanted to go to a week-long party. I wanted to be with my bride, but that's how they do it because everybody gets involved in it. So what's Jesus' point in this parable? Well, it's that fasting and mourning are not part of a wedding ceremony. And a good parable is going to use imagery that the people understand. 
And so the people that he's speaking to, they completely get what Jesus is getting at here. He's letting his disciples know that things have changed. The way we live our lives, the way we approach life, our attitudes, our, our actions ought to be different. The Christian life he's getting at here is not about the law of Moses. Now, be, now because of Jesus Christ, it's about grace. It's about unmerited favor. It's not that the law wasn't necessary. The law was very necessary. We're going to see that. But as he said back at the Sermon on the Mount, things have changed. Back in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. A lot of people interpret it that way, that, that Jesus came and he changed everything. He did, but it wasn't in the sense of abolishing the law and the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. The Old Testament law, guys, as you go through it, everything there points to Jesus. The purposes of the law and the practices that are carried out that the Pharisees trumpeted was not to earn heaven like they thought. It was to demonstrate, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear, it was to demonstrate that there is no way we can earn heaven. When you look at the Old Testament laws of how we are to live our lives, any one of you think you can follow those? And not only follow them, but follow them perfectly. Never make a mistake. Because if you fail in just one thing, you have broken the entire law. The whole purpose of the law was to show us that we need a Savior. The whole purpose of the law was so that you would, you would throw up your hands and say, Oh, woe is me. Who will rescue me from this death that I have found myself in, that I am condemned to from the law of God? And Jesus Christ raises his hand. He is that Savior for us. And that's why Jesus' disciples were happy. That's why they were eating instead of being somber and fasting. It was time. And by the way, it's still time. We're still at that point. We're still in that same period of time to celebrate. Here's the thing, guys. The Christian life should be more like a wedding celebration than a funeral procession. One reason the Pharisees, I'm convinced, were upset with Jesus and his followers is that essentially they were saying, you know what, it's not fair. In fact, when you read even John's disciples' questions, there's kind of a sense of, this isn't fair. You know, why do we have to fast and you don't? Why is it fair for you to guys to enjoy life when we have to endure religion? It's kind of like they were saying, you know, and they were saying it, by the way, they do in many ways. If you were really, really holy, then you'd be miserable like us. That's essentially how the, how the Pharisees lived their lives. So that prompts a question. What does the life you live look like, especially to the people in your world? We talk about that a lot around here as challenging our staff this week, again, to, to just redouble our efforts. We have these cards. If you don't have one, then you need to get one on your way out. And on the back, we encourage you to be praying. Who are the people in your world? Who are the people that you live near in your neighborhood? The people you go to work with, the people you go to school with, the friends you hang out with, friends here at church. And you pray and you say, God, who are the specific people that you want me to be praying for? And you list those names, 10 to 15 of them, on this card. And you begin praying for opportunities to impact them, to impact their lives. And let me tell you guys, the way you live your life 
is going to have a huge impact on how you are impacting their lives and whether or not they're going to want to hear from you. I'll be brutally honest with you guys, and I'm sure a lot of you could say the same thing. I meet a lot of Christians who seem to live their lives taking a cue from the Pharisees. Somehow it's more holy to look somber. After all, the world is a horrible place, right? People disrespect Christ. I read some stories this week about some horrible acts of blasphemy that, you know, that, that are being carried out on national TV. And, and, and they don't think any better of us either these days. But I ask you, and I ask myself, even in the midst of all this, you know, the, the, the terrible government and the stuff people are doing to us and saying about us and treating about us, where is the joy of the Lord? Here's how the Apostle Peter put it at a time when they were, they were directly being persecuted, and that's an understatement. They were being killed for their faith when Peter wrote this, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And what? Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I remember our missionary, Kurt Edwards, who happens to be Tom Logan's cousin, uh, was, is, for all I know, he's still fond of saying we, we support him with uh, Freedom and Truth Ministries. And he's, a, he's one of those missionaries that has had very direct persecution. He's been mugged for his faith. He did street ministry and got mugged for it. Uh, he's had other uh, things happen to him. And, he, and I can still remember him saying, but you know what? I've got Jesus in my heart and that trumps everything else that happens to me. Everything people do to me, all the, the, the issues that I have in my life. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm gonna be with Jesus. What could be better than that? Now, I would be the first to admit, as, as would Kurt, that there is suffering in this life. Life is pain and sadness and disappointment and loss. But guys, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, the good and the bad are somehow, by God, blended together into a mix that is ultimately going to be good. What is it, Romans 8.28? We often say it. We know that for those who love God... And all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. I, I think of it, don't you love our worship teams? Man, I, 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 we, Jackie and I listened in on the live stream last week. And man, this was it so often. And this week was no exception. And, and it's so beautiful. And if you think about the elements, I, I was a music major in college, and so uh, music composition. And if you think about it, I was thinking about how, how could I compare life to a song or a worship team leading us in music? And, and the good things in life could maybe be compared to the melody line of the music, right? I mean, you got to hear the melody. If you don't hear the melody, you know, it's hard for us to sing along, to follow along. But at the same time, with the melody, you've got that awesome harmony line. And I'm a harmony person. And I love, Becky is a, is a master at harmony. She could come up with harmonies for anything. You start singing and ask Becky to harmonize with you and she'll do it on the spot. She's that good. But the harmony line, this is not anything against Becky or those of us that sing harmony, but the harmony line could be compared to sort of the bad things in life. Those things that, you know, are, are not as good. Those things that we struggle with. And so it stays under the melody. You make sure you hear the melody loud and clear, but that harmony does what? It enhances the melody. And together, they make beautiful music. One more thing, guys. 
I, I should say about this. Jesus is not forbidding us to fast. They just weren't doing it. They, they just were not to do it while he was with them. That was the instruction. But after his death, of course, his followers would, and we are encouraged to fast. Let me just throw that at you. Matthew 6, here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you fast, notice he doesn't say, and if you fast, or uh, if you should decide to fast. No, he's assuming right at the beginning, you do it, okay? When you fast, Here's how you do it. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, i.e. the Pharisees. <laughs> For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others, and they did. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When people say, wow, what a holy man. Well, I hope you enjoyed that because that's all you're getting out of that, that service you've done there. Uh, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So guys, here's the question I would encourage you to ask yourself. As I look at this passage, am I more like the Pharisees in my approach to life? Or am I more like Jesus' disciples? Is there real joy in my life? It's an important question. It's an important question with important consequences. I mentioned this before. If somebody is watching you, and they are, those people you're praying for, they're watching you. I guarantee it. And they're watching you. And would they say, just from watching you, you know what? I want what he has. I want what she has. Or maybe, as Peter says, that they would actually approach you and ask you the reason for the hope that is in you. Why would they do that? Because they see hope in you. And is there anything more obvious in the world we live in today is there anything more countercultural in our world today than hope? Because who has hope today? I mean, you turn on the news and it's all bad. I mean, why, why should we even bother to go on? Why should I bother saving money? I should just live for right now and, you know, and, and, and let it go. But no, we have hope. So much so that people hopefully would come up to us and say, why do you, why do you approach life this way? What's different about you? Now, as I said, because this is such an important concept and there are different facets to what Jesus wants to teach them, he gives them another parable in order to illustrate their question. What's their question again? What, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And here's his second answer. It's summed up in this statement. We do not just patch up our lives. Look at verse 16. Jesus, in his second parable here, he says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. I, I grew up, many of you know, my first uh, few years were on a turkey ranch. My dad was a turkey rancher over in Woodcrest. And as a kid on a ranch, I was constantly tearing my clothes. My mom had a full-time job just keeping my clothes Put together. Uh, they were in tatters all the time. They were dirty. They were torn. Uh, he was, she was constantly sewing things up, putting patches on things. I find it interesting now these days that you buy clothes in that condition. You know, she, jeans are already distressed. I'm looking at that and, oh, my mom would have a conniption. You bought that? You know? So, and when Jesus gave this parable again, 
the people knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew the imagery that he was using, and I bet a lot of us know it too, especially uh, those of us that like blue jeans, that cloth, new cloth, would shrink the first few times it's washed. In fact, there's many things you have to buy that you've got to buy them larger because you know they're going to shrink, and, and hopefully they're going to shrink and still fit you when they're done. Well, like today, as you wear your clothing, as I did on the ranch, it can get torn. And when that happened, people would, of course, like they do today, they would sew a patch on it. But if that patch that you sewed on that old piece of clothing was a new patch, an unshrunk patch being sewn onto a, a, a shrunk piece of clothing, it would pull away the next time the clothing was washed. And as Jesus said, it would ruin the clothing, it would tear the patch, nothing would work. And so what's he getting at here? He's saying that he did not come. He is not here just to, quote, improve the law. He's not just here to make the old covenant that's the picture of the old garment. It's the old covenant. It's the law of Moses. He did not just come to, to put patches on that to make it palatable. Instead, he says, I've come to give you something completely brand new, a completely new covenant. And as we see, as we are going to see, he came to fulfill that, as we saw even when he told of his uh, relationship to the law. There is no way, guys, that his new covenant of grace can be used to patch up the old covenant. You just can't sew it on to the, new to the Old Testament. And the Pharisees, obviously, they didn't like this. In fact, their whole religion, their whole orientation to life was based on the law. And here comes this guy with grace, unmerited favor, getting something that you do not uh, deserve to get. And what does Jesus essentially say? I have come to keep the law for you. All you need to do is believe in me. Put your faith and your trust in me. I will get you to heaven. So what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus doesn't want us to just patch up our lives either. We often treat life that way. Instead, he says, recognize who you are in me. You have a brand new life. I, I meet people all the time, and you know, you see the videos online with uh, Ray Comfort. You know, the people think they're pretty good. And for, sadly, I think a lot of Christians fall into that same trap. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I just need to patch up some problem areas in my life, and, and I'll be okay. So, uh, Jesus, can you help me? I, uh, I, I lie a little now and then. I, I don't like some of the things I think. I, I've got, I struggle with some of my emotions. I have addictions. My, my marriage is in trouble. I'm not doing very good at my job right now. The list could go on and on and on. <laughs> we went, as I said, we went camping last week. And when I go camping, I take a full toolkit with me. But I find that more often than not, I don't really need the whole toolkit. I just need two things. I need duct tape and WD-40. That, that, that's the magic things for camping. If something is moving that shouldn't be moving, get the duct tape, and they ain't going to move anymore. If something isn't moving that should be moving, spray it with WD-40, and it'll start moving again. In fact, I had to do that last week. I didn't bring my WD-40. I had to go buy a can of it in order to get the lock open on my truck. So the thing is, guys, Jesus did not come to duct tape your broken heart. 
He came and gave you a brand new heart. He didn't come to free you up with WD-40. In fact, he's not here to reform your life at all. He is here to transform your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we love this verse around here. We use it a lot. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, on the ranch, I, I keep thinking of my mom for some reason, but I, I was constantly dirty. <laughs> it was just, and, and my mom was kind of a neat freak. She, she did not like her kids being dirty. My, my brother and I got buzz cuts because that way we wouldn't get anything stuck in our hair. So she would shave our heads almost down to skin. But we still got really, really dirty. And I remember one time my mom made, saying something along the lines of, you know, you know, it would be a lot easier for your father and I to just have another child than to keep cleaning you up. <laughs> now, you may think, that's a horrible thing to say. You had to know my mom. <laughs> but the key here is, the reason I shared that, is because that's what Jesus actually did. Jesus didn't just come here to clean up my old life. He gave me a brand new life, and he did the same for you. Amen? That's the beauty of it. A life that is all new and improved. But Jesus has one more facet of this diamond, of this illustration that he wants to give us. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The third point he makes is that we have been made completely new. Look at verse 17. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Again, his listeners knew exactly what he was talking about because they dealt with wineskins and wine. Let me explain a little bit of that to you. In Jesus' time, wine was typically put into goatskin bags. The skins of these goats would be scraped clean, they would be tanned, and then they would be stitched together into a bag. We call them Buddha bags now, and, and you can still get them. And the new wine skin, this, this goat skin bag, when it was new, it was soft, it was flexible, and they would pour the new wine in there, and as that wine would ferment, it would give off gases, it would expand, kind of like a, a soda pop or something, it would expand, but because the goat skin itself was new, the goat skins would expand with the fermentation process. But here's the thing, and what Jesus is getting at. If you put, and they all knew better than to do this, if you put brand new wine into an old, hard goatskin bag, because eventually they do get old, they get hard, it wouldn't be long before that skin would start to crack, the seams would split, you'd hear a pop, <laughs> and you've got wine spilling out all over the place. So what's Jesus' point with this parable? Well, the religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus' teaching. Why? Because it was new. It was revolutionary. He did things and said things that a rabbi should not do. He ate and he drank with sinners. He forgave people's sins. And they couldn't handle this new behavior. The, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were like these old, rigid wineskins. They were inflexible. And every time Jesus did or said something new, you could almost hear them beginning to stretch and pop and their seams splitting. Eventually, essentially, guys, Jesus 
is the new wine that he's talking about here. He came to bring us something that is all new and improved. And let's be honest, we can sort of understand the Pharisees if we're really honest with ourselves. We like our routines, don't we? I like things saying the same. Change is hard, but guess what? Throughout Scripture, what do we see? God loves new things. We became a Christian through new birth. We, be, we become that new creation as we read. We walk in newness of life. We read a new testament. And one day God will create a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, what does Jesus say in the second to last chapter of the New Testament? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. <laughs> I am making all things new. There you go. <laughs> so what does this mean for you and me? Well, it's this. If I let my heart become hard, it'll be hard for me to accept new ideas, new ways of looking at things. If I have an attitude that resists anything new that God may want to do in my life or through my life. Let's be honest. Sometimes we reject new things because we like our old ways too much. You know, we're like an old wineskin. We become like the Pharisees, a little bit inflexible. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, since therefore it remains for some to enter God's rest, in other words, they haven't been saved yet, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, quote, today, unquote, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, here it is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And I have complete confidence that you are hearing his voice today because we are in his word and this is him speaking. And I encourage you as the writer of Hebrews would to listen to him and to not become hard because maybe he is calling you to a new life in him. We, heard, we, we talk a lot here about the ABCs, admitting our need of a Savior, believing what Jesus Christ has done, the things we've been talking about today, and making a choice to follow Him. It's admitting that, as the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I'm part of that. I'm not a good person when it comes right down to God's standard. I am lost in my sins. And maybe I'm trying to reform my own life. Maybe I'm trying like the Pharisees to, to live a life that is going to somehow make God love me, only it isn't going to work. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That's not ever going to work. It's only going to work through putting your faith and your trust in what Jesus has already done on your behalf. And that's where we call the ABCs. A, admitting that. B, then believing in Jesus, believing that he came and he lived a perfect life. He became that perfect sacrifice. He died on a cross for you and for me. He was buried. He rose again. We're going to celebrate this in a couple of months on Easter. And you believe what he says about you, that because of all of those things, you can identify with him, enter into his life, you can die to your old sins and you can be raised to new life in him. And today is the day. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Today is the day. Do this while it's still today. Don't harden your heart. And you do that by C, choosing, making a choice. Lord Jesus, I want this. 
Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And then begin that exciting walk in faith. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But also, I am absolutely confident that the majority of us here in this room who are Christians, we're hearing him as well. And I encourage you, I, I encourage myself as I've been going through this, not to harden our hearts either, to listen and to change where necessary. As we've been seeing today, maybe we need to stop acting like the Christian life is a funeral. Maybe we need to start celebrating a little bit more. We're engaged to a bridegroom who is coming back for us, amen? I mean, maybe we ought to smile a little more. Or maybe we need to stop trying to patch up our old life and accept and just accept the new one that Jesus has given to us. How sad is that? We have a whole new life that Jesus has given to us and yet we continue to think that I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do this. Maybe maybe a subtle change would be I get to do this and I get to do this. Or maybe we need to stop resisting that new wine that Jesus has for us and allow ourselves to grow and expand and not become that old and crusty and inflexible person to new things. Recognize that in Christ, guys, we are all new. We are all improved, genuinely. We're not Coke. It really is new and it really is better. Let me give you a couple of takeaways. First one is this. Do others see joy in my life? And by others, I mean the people on your card, the people in your world. Because think about it. Why did John's disciples even ask the question that formed the basis of this entire message? They asked the question because they saw something in Jesus' disciples. If you, if you question, you know, how am I ever going to start conversations with people, just start living the life. The conversations, they'll start them. Scripture tells us that. Secondly, do I allow Jesus to transform me? Romans 12, 2 says that we are to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by getting into God's word and allowing his word to work on your heart and change you externally. And then finally, number three, Am I open to new things? Am I making sure that I'm not... Now, that doesn't mean, you know, there's... We talk about people being open-minded, and a criticism of that is that there are people that are so open-minded that their brains start leaking out, okay? That's why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We don't just accept everything. We test it through the Word of God. But when it passes that test then let's start accepting some things and not just rejecting it because, well, that's uncomfortable. That's not something that I want to do. I can't tell you how many times I sit down with people and they they ask, what do I need to do? And I show them in God's word and they say, oh, well, that's going to be really hard to do. Yeah, you think? (laughs) But you need to do it, you know, and not be that hard, inflexible person. If God says do it, just do it. Let's, Let's face it, guys. We all get comfortable in our lives, don't we? We demonstrate by our words and by our actions so often that Newton's laws of motion, Newton, a good Christian, by the way, that his laws of motion are true. An object, in other words, a life at rest tends to stay at rest. And sometimes that's what our lives look like. I'm at rest and it's so easy to just stay here. I I was reading recently that since the pandemic, There's a lot of people that ought to be in church, 
But you know what? They spent a year or more just really getting used to watching church on TV. And so I think I'll just keep doing this. No, really, you ought to be here. Because again, as I said at the very beginning, there's a dynamic to being in the environment of the people that you are worshiping with. Now, I know some, of, some need to be at home for various reasons, and that's great. We're, we're great to have you. But if you can be here, that's the thing you ought to be doing. But the, obje- but, but the opposite is also true. Because Newton's law then goes on to say that an object in motion tends to stay in motion. So I would encourage you, let's commit to being people that are in motion, that are moving forward, that are, that, that are living and demonstrating, not just by our words, but by our lives, that we are, yes, in fact, all new and improved. And the Bible tells us that there is plenty of new stuff for us. Let me finish with a couple of examples. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, anybody else want to say an amen to that? <laughs> okay. You young people, just wait. (laughs) You're wasting away too. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Amen, right? Not only renewed, guys, but new entirely and improved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for this encouraging word. And I pray, Father, that as we go from here today back to our worlds, that we can be that light in the darkness that so permeates this world that we live in. And not just this world that we live in, in many ways, this state of California that we live in, which seems to be, uh, of all the states in the union, seems to be the darkest right now. Man, what a fertile mission field we have. How much brighter do we shine by being in this dark place? Father, encourage us with that. Let's not be discouraged that we live in a dark place. Let us be encouraged with the possibilities because we have all of eternity to bask in your light, Lord. Let's be about what you've called us to do as we have the opportunities right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.